Romans chapter 2, I'm going to read to you verses 6 through 11, and then verses 28 and 29. And then after we've broken that all down, we'll come back and look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. He, God, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Jump over to verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now, we ended our study last time by looking at how the Jews received more revelation about the gospel from God than the Gentiles did. But with that privilege came more accountability. We're not going to take the time to have you go there. But if you want to look at Luke 12, 47 through 48, that's the section of scripture. Luke 12, 47 and 48. That's the scripture that talks about to whom much is given. Much is required. All right. Now, but in the middle of our study of passage for last time we were together, we came across the verses that we just read in verses 6 through 11 that make it appear that salvation will be determined by our works or our outward actions. Let's look again at verses 6 through 11 and notice how it kind of sounds like our salvation is determined by our works. Verse 6 again, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Now, hopefully you know that these verses can't be teaching that we're saved by our works because that would go against the whole of the rest of Scripture and even go against the book of Romans. Let me take you real quick to Ephesians chapter 2, passage we all know well, but go again with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and look closely at how the Scripture clearly teaches we're not saved by our works or our deeds. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are not saved by what we do or don't do. We actually are saved by faith, and that's a gift of God by grace. Now go back to Romans chapter 4, and you'll see Paul himself will deal with this in more detail when we get to chapter 4. And he makes very, very clear that salvation is not because of our works or tied to our works. Romans 4, verses 1 through 12, Paul is talking about Abraham. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from his works. And then David wrote in Psalm 32, 1 and 2, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? 
For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So here we clearly see, and we'll break this down in more detail when we get to chapter 4, we clearly see that Paul could not have been teaching in Romans 2 that we're saved by what we do. So the question then is, what is Paul saying in verses 6 through 11 in chapter 2 here of Romans? What's he saying? Well, what he's saying is this. He's saying the same thing that the whole of Scripture has been saying all along, that God's judgment is tied to our actions. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight for quite a, quite a bit before we get into chapter 3, that God is going to bring a judgment on all mankind, saved and lost. And it's going to be tied to our actions. Now, the judgment for the lost, as you're going to see, is going to be tied to their actions because they have not had their sins covered by Jesus or been forgiven. And so all of their actions will be recorded and they'll be judged accordingly. And then they'll go to hell. And especially because they've added one more big sin by rejecting Jesus Christ, God's payment for their sin. Now, for those of us who are in Christ, as you're going to see, there's still a judgment to come for us. And we're going to deal with all these passages tonight. And the judgment for Christians is not whether or not we get into heaven. No, we've already been given that as a gift. Salvation and our righteousness is given to us as a gift. But after we've been saved, God's still going to judge us according to our actions, and that will determine our reward when we're in heaven. And so we're going to lay this all out. So what Paul is saying is, is that God's judgment is tied to our actions. And you're going to find out in a little bit why that is. So I want to show you that all along, in the Old Testament and the New, the Scripture has been showing us this. Go to Isaiah chapter 3. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Isaiah chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Again, judgment is going to be tied to your actions. Reward is going to be tied to your actions. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17. Look at verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Again, your judgment or your reward is going to be tied to your actions. Go to John chapter 5. Jesus himself is speaking here in John chapter 5. Look at verses 24 through 29. John chapter 5, verse 24. 
It's, Jesus says, the Father, sorry, that's 22, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has, granted the, he, he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Again, judgment, reward tied to your actions. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. <clears throat> Paul says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So here he's talking about believers and what they're going to do after salvation. One plants, another waters. God's the one who provides the increase, but each one will receive their wages according to what they've done. Hang on for a second. Didn't we read earlier that... The gift of salvation is eternal life. And it's not a wage. A wage is something you earn. When you get your paycheck at the end of the week or two weeks from your boss, that's not a gift. You worked for it. That's your wages. The wages, for those of us who have been saved, salvation's a gift. But we're going to be paid wages according to what we've done after salvation. Again, can't stress it enough. God cares about our actions. He cares about our actions. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and look at verse 10. Now, I'm going to lay this foundation pretty solid here for a little bit, and we're going to hopefully clarify and, 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 and hopefully have it all come together in just a little bit. Look at what it says here in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before, writing to Christians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that word evil could better be translated worthless. So there's a judgment coming for Christians. No, it's not to determine whether or not we get into heaven. That's already guaranteed. That's already been given as a gift. You're going to heaven if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and he's given you his spirit. But you remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Remember we talked about, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. Verse 10, though, says this. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he doesn't just save us and just give us salvation as a gift. He then also gives us responsibility and he's looking for right, proper actions. And we'll be rewarded for those or we'll suffer loss. Go to Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 12. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says this. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You do know that when Jesus told stories and parables about his return, they were always tied to a reckoning. 
when he comes back, he settles accounts with the people with the five talents and the two talents and the one talent, or the ones who have been given the ten minas. He settles accounts with them. And so with those who have rejected his offer for paying for their sins and are still in their own sins, when they meet God, there's going to be a judgment. And that judgment is, well, let me read it to you. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. As you're about to see, this is the judgment of the wicked and the judgment of the lost. And as you're going to see at that time, you don't want to be anywhere near the throne of God. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now, before we go any further, Jesus himself even said that every idle word has been written down. Every idle word is being accounted for. You don't want to be held accountable for all that, do you? And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, here it is again, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here at the end of the millennial kingdom, as we head into the eternal state, there's going to be a judgment of all the wicked throughout all time, and they're going to be judged according to everything they've done, and they're going to double-check the book of life their name's not in it because they didn't put their faith in Jesus Christ and now they've added on to all their other sins the rejection of God's payment for their sins by his own son and buddy that's not a good thing but for us who are believers our actions still matter our actions still matter but why then does God care about our actions? Does anybody know why he cares about our actions? Because I thought God wasn't really trying to fix our actions. What's he trying to fix? Our heart. But our actions come from our hearts. Go to Luke chapter 6. The issue is, is the heart issue. That's why as we saw back in Jeremiah chapter 9, the heart is desperately sick. Go to Luke chapter 6, though, and look at verse, verses 43. Through 49. Luke 6, 43 through 49. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So here we see that actually those who good who are, are going to produce good are going to be the ones who have it come from their heart. Their hearts have been made good. Those who produce bad, it's going to come from your heart, and your hearts are going to show that they're wicked. But I thought the heart was desperately sick. I thought there was no one who does good. That's why we need what? We need a heart transplant. We need a heart transplant. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 36.
We'll start in verse 22. Now, this is a promise for the nation of Israel that's going to be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period and entering into the millennial kingdom. But remember, all the promises for Israel are ours now. All the promises have been given to us. Listen to what it says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when, Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. By the way, isn't that ours now when we trust Jesus as our Savior? He washes us clean. He puts his spirit within us. He gives us a new heart. Now, some of you are saying, okay, Jim, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. But at the same time, I still do bad deeds. Yes. And if you sit here and say, I don't, you got a problem. We all still do. Yeah, you, just, you just lied right there. So you're already, you already got one. So here's where we're going to answer that question in just a little bit. So hold on to that. I'm going to deal with that. Don't sit there and think, well, maybe I'm not saved because I don't do perfect good deeds all the time. No, no, we'll, we'll take care of that. Don't worry about that. Hang on for a second. But let me make this clear, though, first. The Bible says that there should be a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, let's not deny that. There should be a distinction between those of us who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I'll spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've just seen that the one who plants and one who waters are the same, but They'll each receive their wages. In that same passage, though, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. First Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 11, it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, 
he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, there's that day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ that we looked at. The judgment seat of Christ, when each one will receive what they've done in the body, whether good or bad, is going to measure whether or not what we've done is going to be rewarded because it's gold, silver, precious stones that survived the fire, or whether or not it's going to be burnt up and you'll be suffering loss, wood, hay, stubble. There should be a clear distinction between us. There are going to be those who are going to be for eternity rewarded for their good works and others who are for eternity who are going to be in heaven, but there will be a distinction even in heaven between those who were obedient and allowed God to do through them what he desired. What did Jesus say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, let me ask you a question. What about those times where it doesn't look like I'm a Christian? Because, Jim, you're not expecting me to be perfect, are you? No. We're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. But what I first want you to understand is, is that you need to understand that God does care about our actions, and we should too, because our actions are showing where our heart is. Because even though we've been saved... And even though we have been born again and given new life and guaranteed eternity with God, he still left us in these bodies of flesh. You're going to see it later on when we get to chapter 7 of Romans. You're going to see that Paul struggles in the same way that we do. And he says, the things I want to do, I don't. Things that I don't want to do, I do. Who will save me from this body of death? And then, of course, he answers his own question. And thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. But I also don't want you to get to the point where the Gnostics started to go, where they just said, well, I've been made new in my spirit, and that's all God cares about. What I can do whatever I want in my body, and it doesn't matter. You're going to see Paul deal with that when we get to chapter 3. We won't go into dealing with it tonight, but you'll see a section where he deals with the fact that some of the Christians are being accused of saying, you can do whatever you want. You're forgiven. You're free. It even says in the book of Galatians, not to use your freedom as a license to sin. God still cares about our actions. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verses 9 through 11. He says, Are you do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, what he's saying is, is if you live like this, this is your pattern, and you practice it continually, and you think it's okay, you might want to check whether or not you've been saved. Because I can tell you right now, when I sin, I don't like it. I'm grieved. The Spirit of God is grieved. I want to get it fixed as fast as I can. And that's what I want to talk to us a little bit about. I can sit here and talk about the Jews and the Gentiles and the lost and all that kind of stuff. And we'll come back to what Paul was dealing with. But I want to talk to Christians because most of you coming out here and those that are listening on our online right now to the recording, I, I'm pretty sure most of you are believers. And I want to talk to you about how 
you can actually grow in this area where all of a sudden, over time, it'll become more and more evident that you are a Christian. Because go to Galatians chapter 5. The Bible actually shows us what the distinction and the difference is. The difference in the evidence of whether or not we're walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 16. He says, but I say, Romans 5, 16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things or live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, if we're born again, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So Paul says, you want evidence of the Spirit and evidence of the flesh? And he gives two lists. Now, I'm just going to ask a question of you, those of you who have been Christians for a period of time, who never sat in the business meeting at church. What list do we see? Yeah, we see the first list more than we see the second list most of the time. And what I'm saying to you is this. There should be a clear distinction because God cares about our actions. Now, I'm going to talk to you about how you can do better in this area and grow in this area where more and more of the evidence of Jesus in you will be seen by the people around you. But I'm also going to say, as I share this with you and show you from Scripture what you should do, be careful you don't step over the line to go too far. And I'll explain what that is in just a second. Go to Psalm 139. Remember Jeremiah verse 10, chapter 9, verse 10 said, God says, I, the Lord, test the heart. In Psalm 139, we're going to look at verses 23 and 24. David is writing this, and he's just finished saying that there isn't a place he could go, that God's not there. God knows everything he even thinks before it comes out of his mouth. And in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Did you catch that? He said, Look, God, you show me my heart. Go to Psalm 51. David wrote this as well. And as you're turning there, I'll just set the stage for you. This was written by David after his sin with Bathsheba and had been pointed out to him by the prophet Nathan. And look at what he writes here in Psalm 51. I'm going to read to you all the way through verse 17. Verse 1 through verse 17. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying that the act of him being conceived was, was sinful. The fact that he's been a sinner since he was conceived. That's just, it's in all of us. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. You'll not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. David was known as a man after God's own heart. Does that mean David never sinned? No, actually, if you've ever followed through and read through David's life, he didn't just sin with Bathsheba. He sinned a lot. He sinned, I could go on and on, and how he treated his kids. He sinned when he was counting the people and trying to feel good about how many army people in the army he had. I could go on and on. But the thing that made David a man after God's own heart was he kept short accounts, if you will, when it came to his sin. When the Spirit of God convicted him, he repented. And he said, you're right. Fix me. And did you catch what he says here? He says, I need you to teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Would you make me clean? And after you've made me clean, then I'll do the good works. They come after he washes us, after he cleanses us. He doesn't say, look, I'll make it right. I'll, I'll go to church for the next month and, and not miss a Sunday. Or I'll do this or I'll write a check. Or He doesn't think I'll do things. He said, actually, you don't want me to sacrifice. If you wanted me to come do a sacrifice, I'd do it. But what you're looking for is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Go with me to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 1. Run around verse 5, and we're going to go all the way into chapter 2, verse 6. First John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, all the way into chapter 2, verse 6, and you're going to see John explain what we just talked about here. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, agree with him when he points it out. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his, command, his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Do you see it's all there? God's light in him, there's no darkness at all. You say you walk in fellowship with God and you're living a sinful life, you're lying, you're not walking with God right now. That doesn't mean you're not saved, but you don't have the fellowship. You have a relationship if you've been sealed by the Spirit, but you don't have the fellowship right now. And that's why the Bible says don't grieve the Spirit, don't quench the Spirit. And in those times when we sin, if you're a believer, you know that feeling. You know how much you hate it and you want to make it right. But how you make it right is you say, Lord, show me my heart. You show me my heart. You wash me clean. You do what needs to be done in me. And then once you've done that, the outflow will be the good works. I'm not going to do good works so that you'll forgive me. You've already forgiven me. I'm going to do good works after you wash me because I will automatically do that. Now, here's the line I don't want you to step over. I don't want you to go home and start examining yourself. How am I doing? Am I doing well? I need to check myself. I'm going to tell you, don't do that. Actually, what does the scripture say? Lord, you show me my heart. If you see any wicked way in me, show it to me. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Because let me just tell you this right now. If you try to go and examine yourself, Satan's going to have a field day with you. He's going to bring up stuff that God forgave you four years ago. Yeah. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 and following. Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, I, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Do you see the danger of us trying to judge other people's motives and other people's hearts? I've heard for years, well, the only reason she did that is because she, be careful, you don't know her heart. Now, it may be true that she was doing things out of wrong motives. But God can use people with wrong motives, and he can still get his stuff done. It's not our job to make sure everybody's hearts are right. We're to say, Lord, you just show me mine. You just show me mine. And Lord, I'm not going to go around and examine my navel. I'm just going to say, if there's something, show me. And keep me sensitive to that. And when he does, keep short accounts. John says, I write to you, Christian, so that you don't sin. Because we're supposed to be walking as he is, so that it'll be evident that he's in us. The world needs to see demonstrations of true salvation and true Christianity. But at the same time, if you try yourself to do better, if you hear a message on the fruit of the Spirit and think, well, I need to be more loving, I need to be more patient, well, you've already started off wrong because you can't be more loving, you can't be more patient. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. 
He who began the good work in you is the one who's going to finish it. And he's the one who you have to learn, have an attitude that says, Lord, I need you. Now, with that in mind, keep that in mind. Lord, I need you. Go back to Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and let's read it again. There's something in there that many of you probably missed. I've missed it for years. Look at Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. He, God, will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing do what? Seek for glory and honor and immortality. He'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. And so don't miss that. If you are seeking for glory, honor, and immortality, and seeking it from who? Who's going to give it? From God. Your attitude is, I need it. I don't have it. I'm going to make a statement for you, to you that probably won't surprise many of you. I'm not seeking for a wife. You know I am not seeking for a wife? I've got one. And I'm happily married. And I'm not looking for a wife. Why? Because I have it. But what I don't have is what I may be seeking for. And here it says, for those who want glory, honor, immortality, the things that only God can give and are seeking him, when you come to him, he'll give it to you. But if you are self-seeking, trying to fix it yourself, trying to do it yourself, when, when, when kids were little, the Bible, you all know this, and Jesus himself said that we need to come to God as little children. These are the ones who get into the kingdom, the attitude of little children. When our kids were little, they would say, help me. I can't tie my shoe. Could you tie my shoe, please? When Nicole was little, I think she was around two or three, it, she, whenever she'd want to uh, have you pick her up, she'd say, I want to hold you. It was her way of saying, would you please pick me up? But you know, something starts to happen to all of us. We move from that childlike, I need help, to I can do it myself. Yeah, here's the problem. That's not a good thing. As we get older, though, we start to get a little more wiser and realize there's a lot of stuff we used to think we could do, and we realize now I'm not as good as I used to be. And you know what? When I was a kid and thought I knew everything, I didn't know half of the stuff I thought I knew. And we look back at ourselves when we were younger and realize, man, I was a braggadocious little thing that knew nothing. And as we get older, we get more mature, hopefully, and little, we realize how frail we are. Paul's saying that God's judgment is going to be on your works. But when he judges... He's looking at your heart and whether or not you're going to God for what you need or whether or not you're looking to yourself. Now, look at verses 28 and 29. He makes a statement here that we're going to start to deal with in chapter 3 that's going to make the Jews pretty angry. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So here's where we're going to move into chapter 3. Paul has just laid out that God's salvation is for everyone. 
And the Jews have had more light. That's why it's Jews first and also the Greek. The Greeks have had enough light to be saved. The Jews have been given more. We're going to deal with that in just a second as well, a little bit more. But at the same time, he then goes on and says, but also God's going to judge everyone according to their actions. And those who have been seeking him, he'll give eternal life. Those who are thinking they're okay because they've got the ability to take care of it themselves or their heritage or their Jewishness is going to take care of them, their circumcision, their lineage. I was born in America. I'm a Christian. If those people are thinking they've got it in and of themselves and they're not seeking for it outside themselves, they're not in when they think they are. There's going to be judgment and wrath. Read with me in Romans chapter 3 now, verses 1 through 8. Paul then says, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify, sorry, faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Now, if I were to ask any of you to get up here real quick and I give you the microphone and explain to us what I just read to you, how many of you would be running to the front? You probably sat there thinking, Jim, whoa, 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 I'm already lost. And some of you might even be trying to reread a few things and let some of it sink in. And let me tell you, we're only going to scratch the surface of this tonight in the time that we have left. When we come back next week, I've already written that lesson, we're going to break down the rest of this. There's a lot of questions that Paul deals with here, and I can't wait to show you because there's some deep, deep theology going on here. Because Paul realizes that what he's just written in chapter 2 is going to confuse people and make some Jews very, very angry. He's just said that one was not automatically saved because they were a Jew. But the Jews knew that God's word was, was full of promises to them as a nation. They assumed that if God promised their nation eternal status and righteousness in the coming kingdom, then they were included if they were a Jew. Would you not agree that the Bible clearly teaches that the Jews have been promised eternal status and righteousness in the coming kingdom? I mean, I could take the time. I think you've heard enough of my years of teaching on prophecy that that's very clear. The Jews have been promised eternal status and righteousness in the coming kingdom. So they assumed that if I'm a Jew, I'm included. But not only Paul said that the Gentiles are now included, but there might be some Jews who are left out. Wait a minute, we've been thinking we were the ones who were going into the kingdom and the Gentiles were being left out, or if the Gentiles did come into the kingdom, they'd just be our servants. Now you're saying the Gentiles are going to be included in that. Got a problem with that, the Jews would say. But on top of that, you're saying that there are going to be some Gentiles that get in and some Jews left out? What's then the advantage of being a Jew then? What's the advantage of all this stuff? And Paul's answer is, much in every way. The Jews have been given the oracles 
of God. Go with me to Romans chapter 9 again. I'm not going to take the time to break each one of these down, but we're going to read them slowly. Look at what the Jews were promised. Paul says in Romans 9, he says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. Chapter 1, chapter 9, verse 1, sorry. Romans 9, verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. We could take a week or two just looking at all these things that they were given. The adoption, the promises, the glory, the covenants. They had the, 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 the Shekinah glory of God himself moving with them and dwelling with them. They had all of the, uh, the, the evidences of God. I mean, to the, the fact that the nations around were in fear when the Jews came anywhere around. They were given so much. And all of that, they were given the oracles of God, the word of God written down. There's a tremendous advantage But what they missed was that God's word showed and implied, regardless of heritage, all people, Jews included, must come to God in repentance and faith. Well, I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the time we have here, then 10 minutes we have left, to explain this to you and show you from the Old Testament. When David writes in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who meditates on your law day and night. How much of the Bible did they have? Just the Old Testament. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, on that same day that he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples, he made this statement in Luke 24. He said, everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I'm going to just take a little bit of time here, 10 minutes, to show you just a little bit of the fact that all through the Old Testament, the gospel of salvation being by faith through repentance, seeking God to have you and give you righteousness has been there all along. And I, I'm not even going to scratch the surface of what we're going to look at. And I'm only going to use the Old Testament. See, the Jews were so excited about the promises, they didn't read, and I'm not going to say it in a bad way, but they didn't read the fine print. Do you understand what I'm saying? They just took the promise, they didn't read well, you need to come by faith. You need to come with repentance. And just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're automatically in. They didn't read the rest of it. A lot of Christians today, and I'm going to use the term Christian in quotes, love the promises. But as we've touched on a few of them tonight, there's a judgment coming. And not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my father. Again, he's not looking for perfection, but are you giving evidence of at all that there's Christ in you? Again, we need to be really that are people that are sensitive to the spirit and growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to just take you back. Let's go to Isaiah 55. We'll start there. In verses 6 through 11, I'm going to give you six passages that we're going to hit in these 10 minutes we have left, a little less than that now. I'm going to give you six passages from the Old Testament, and I want you to see how God all along had been showing them, 
you're not automatically in because you're a Jew. And salvation is given to everyone who repents. Isaiah 55, look at verses 6 through 11. It says, seek the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Romans chapter 2. Verses 6 and following, verse 7 especially. He wrote Romans, uh, Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man in his thoughts. Let, uh, uh, forsake his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to be empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God said, seek me while you have the opportunity. In other words, there'll be a point where it's too late. Calling me while you can. Oh, and by the way, if you think you know how I do things, you're probably wrong. Because your ways are not my ways. And my thoughts are your thoughts. And I have my word, and it's going to accomplish what I want it to do. And you better know what it says. And you better submit to it. Because that's what I'm going to hold you to. But Lord, I thought that. But Lord, the preacher said, no, I'm holding you to what I said. Oh, by the way, we've been talking about how there's a judgment for those, is bigger for those who've been given much. We in America, we've got a lot to be held accountable for. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 5. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he'll prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Look what he said. Because you guys are looking for the Messiah to come. You're looking for him to show up and to come into his temple. Oh, by the way, are you going to be able to endure it when he comes? Remember what John the Baptist's message, and he said, I'm going to send my messenger before that. Remember what John the Baptist's message was? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when he comes, the, his, his threshing fork is in his hand. He's going to, his axe is laid to the root of the trees. A judgment is coming. Folks, let me just say this to you. God was showing them, don't assume you're in. The Messiah is coming. But when he comes, he's going to purify and by the way, if you know anything about threshing wheat, you take the wheat and the grain and you do this and you blow away the chaff and only what's good remains. And as you know about what's going to happen, has been happening and what will happen to the nation of Israel during the tribulation period, two thirds of them are going to be killed. Only a third's going to be spared. Go to Hosea. Go to Hosea chapter 12. 
Hosea chapter 12, we'll look at verses 2 through 6. It says, the Lord has an indictment against Judah. I thought we were automatically in. Be careful. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He'll repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, Jacob took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us, the Lord, the God of hosts. The Lord is his memorial name. So you, by the help of your God... Return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Do you see it? He says, Israel, you, you've been wrestling against God. You've been taking take control of things your own self for, from the beginning. But Jacob learned that if he sought the Lord and humbled himself, that's where he got his righteousness. Go to Hosea chapter 6. Not Hosea, sorry. Yeah, Hosea, chapter 6. We're in chapter 12. Back up to chapter 6. Look at verses 1 through 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he'll revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burn offerings. David knew what he was talking about, didn't he? God had always been saying it all along. Don't assume you're in because you're a Jew. By the way, I love the description here. He says, your love for me is like the morning clouds or the dew. I love golf, as you know, and I've gone up early a couple of times this week to go play. And you've noticed that you wake up, if you get there early enough, it's been raining. It's been clouds and cold. But by nine o'clock almost, Clear blue sky. What happened to those clouds? They disappeared. What happens to the dew in the morning? It goes away. God says, your love for me is like the, the dew, the morning clouds. It looks like it's there, but it disappears. He says, and I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, knowledge of me rather than burnt offerings. One more. Go to Habakkuk. Actually, two more. I'm going to give you one more in the Old Testament, and we'll close with one in the New Go to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow... Wait for it. By the way, have you all started to realize a lot of things in the New Testament are quotes from the Old Testament? Passages we've known forever. God's not slow, 2 Peter 3. God's not slow in keeping his promise as some people count slowness. The New Testament writers have been quoted. They knew the Old Testament. We need to know the Old Testament. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. I've only given you 
just a small portion of Old Testament passages that have been saying it all along to the Jews. Don't assume you're in because you're a Jew. Righteousness is given to those who have faith, who humble themselves, who seek God. Now, we all know Colossians 2.6, and if you're not, I quote it many times. In the same way in which you receive Jesus as Lord, walk in him. How'd you receive Jesus as Lord? You heard what he said, you believed what he promised, and you said, Lord, please give me this salvation. Now, how do we live? We daily seek him. We're already guaranteed eternity, but now there's a judgment coming for us after we've been saved. Has he been allowed to live his life through us and give us victory over sin and have the evidence of the spirit of love and joy and peace and these good works evident? If you're not seeing that, say, Lord, show me where my heart's wrong. I'm not going to try to fix it. I just need you to show me. And then we're going to close with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 and following. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Who's going to be doing the work, good works through us? God. What does, he all, what does he want from us? Willingness. Seeking him. And faith that he'll do it. And folks, I, I can't stress that to you enough. I'm as human as anybody here. Every one of us still struggles with sin. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 7. But at the same time, there should be a distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. And for those who seek God's honor and glory and immortality that only he can give, you'll get it. You want to seek evidence of his spirit within you? You'll get it. You self-seek. You think, well, I'll, I'll do better, Lord. Lord, I'll fix it. Lord, I'm not going to think that anymore. Lord, I'm not going to look at that anymore. Lord, I'm not going to say those things anymore. Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. You're going to miss out. You can't do it. And if anybody's listening right now and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, the time is running short. If you're resting in anything but Jesus himself, you're not saved. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.